You're listening to the Prince College Podcast, a ministry of Prince Avenue Baptist Church, where our goal is to lead you to trust and follow Jesus. Like I said, I'm really excited to dive into this topic with you, and I, and I realize that I say that often, like I always say that I'm excited about diving into the text, it's kind of like my thing that I say, and I get that, but like I'm genuinely excited about this one, because we have the opportunity tonight to talk about how the gospel of Jesus should shape the way that we interact with one another, should change the way that we pursue community, and I'm excited about this, because I've seen this tangibly in my own life. I've seen the, personally seen how a community of people built on the foundation of the gospel can transform a life because I've seen it transform mine. You see, whenever I came to college, I came to college with a fair amount of Christian background. Perhaps there's some of you in the room that could relate to that. Like I was raised in church. And so whenever I came to UGA back in 2012, I had a lot of spiritual knowledge, if you will. Like I knew the answers to the spiritual questions. I had a lot of head knowledge. I had some experience, but whenever I was, came to college, I did not immediately invest in finding a solid community. It just wasn't high on my priority list. And I did the stereotypical freshman thing, right? And I'm not trying to pick on freshmen in the room. I'm saying this was true of me as a freshman. Maybe not true of you, but perhaps it might be true of you. So freshmen, listen up. One of the things that I did is I jumped around a lot that freshman year. Like I went from group to group to group, from ministry to ministry to ministry, from church to church to church to church, organization to organization. And the result was I met a lot of people, but I was never truly known. You understand what I mean by that? I met a lot of people, but I was never truly known. I had a lot of friends, but those friendships were surface level at best. And I got to admit, at first, that was fun, right? That was exciting. It was exhilarating. And for an extrovert like myself, I was just getting people time like crazy and pinging from one experience to the other. And it was awesome for a period of time. But then life started to get difficult. Perhaps you can relate to that. Towards the end of my freshman year, I had some things take place, some personal difficulties, some just dark seasons that I had to walk through on my own. And then what was once fun and exciting all of a sudden started to feel really lonely and difficult. And I began to feel lonely. I began to feel isolated. And it was during that season of my life that God really began to teach me a really important lesson, and it's this, that community isn't just about breadth. It's about depth. You understand that? Community is not just about breadth, it's about death. That true community isn't found by jumping from experience to experience to experience. True community isn't just about getting more people in your life, it's about getting the right people in your life. True community is found in slowing down long enough to truly dive deep and to truly get to know someone and to be known by them. And I was fortunate enough at the end of that freshman year of college, to get connected to a group of guys who just, who loved Jesus and who loved me and they kept coming after me, they kept encouraging me, they kept inviting me in, kept asking me questions. They would not let me settle into my own version of isolation. They continued to invite me into community. And most importantly, they kept pointing me to Jesus and absolutely everything that they did. And they modeled to me what a community founded on the gospel of Jesus should look like. They showed me what it felt like to be loved and cared for as a brother in Christ. And it changed me. 
it changed me completely. It changed everything about how I pursue friendships and relationships now. It changed the way that I lead. It changes the way that I lead you. I think about that experience a lot. Like, if I'm being honest with you, now, I think about that year of my life a lot. Because you see, especially now that I have the opportunity to be the college pastor here at Prince, and I have the opportunity to lead people like you who were in a season that I was in, this is just really foundational for me. I spend a fair amount of time just thinking about what I want for you as a people, what I want for us as a ministry. And the thing that I come back to time and time again is that I want us to be a ministry that is known by the way that we love one another. Like, that's what I want us to be known for. That's what I want Prince College to be synonymous with. Like, I couldn't care less if we're ever the biggest college ministry in town. Doesn't bother me. Don't care. I couldn't care less if we're known for having the best speaker in town. We don't. News flash, okay? I couldn't care less about any of that. I couldn't care less about any of that. What I do care about is I care that we're known as a people who are genuinely kind, loving, and encouraging. I want Prince College to be characterized by genuine love, a love that displays the heart of Jesus to those that are around us. This is my heart for us. This is my vision for us. This is my desire for us as a people. But it's not just my desire. You see, Jesus himself says this in, in John chapter 13, whenever he's teaching his disciples about what it looks like to love one another, he says this in John 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you hear what Jesus is saying there? This is his call to his followers. This is his mission statement for his followers, if you will. See, I, I study business at UGA. Any business majors in the room? A few of you? Some people? All right, cool. All right, you're excited about that. That's great. I study business at UGA, and we spent a lot of time in a few of the classes that I was in talking about mission statements within organizations. And if you're not a business person, all you need to know is that from an organizational point of view, mission statements exist to give an organization an identity, a direction by which to head. And they're statements that are meant to define and characterize an organization that give it purpose. And so some mission statements are incredibly specific and precise. Like my wife, she works for Athens Chick-fil-A, which are the three Chick-fil-A's that surround campus, Beachwood, Barnett Shoals, and the downtown Chick-fil-A. And they have a mission statement for their organization. Their mission statement is really simple. It's to be the best we can be at selling chicken and serving customers. Pretty precise. I think that's pretty much mission accomplished. If you want a chicken sandwich, you go to Athens Chick-fil-A. They're going to serve you well. It's going to be tasty, right? That's their mission statement. Some mission statements for organizations are, like, incredibly weird. Like, I, I just, I honestly spent some time reading through uh, some mission statements this week just because I was thinking about this. And I came across Coca-Cola's mission statement. And just, I just want you to hear this. This has real no relevance to what we're talking about. I just want you to hear this, okay? Coca-Cola, their mission statement is this, to refresh the world to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value, and to make a difference. It's pretty vague and pretty far-reaching for a soda company, if you ask me. But, you know, they're a billion-dollar industry, and I'm not. I'm a college pastor, so what do I know? But it's just like these are mission statements, right? These statements are meant to provide direction, guidance, and purpose for organizations. And in the same way, Jesus gives this new command to his followers, a command that is meant to give us a direction by which to head. And our direction from Jesus is really clear. He says abundantly clearly in John 13, love one another. Just as I have loved you. So Jesus is saying, just as I, Jesus, have loved you, humanity, you are meant to love one another. 
And Jesus' mission for us comes with a promise. And he says, if you love one another like this, then everybody in the world, all people who see you, will know that you belong to me. That as followers of Jesus, we are meant to be known by the way that we love specifically by the way that we love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're meant to love one another within the family of faith so well that we display the ultimate love of the Father shown towards us. I had a pastor at my previous church who used to say it like this. He said that we're meant to love one another so well that we make Jesus Christ impossible to ignore. I love that. We're meant to love one another so well that we make Jesus Christ impossible to ignore. This is our mission. But as with every mission statement, be it within an organization or even what Jesus has given us in John chapter 13, the natural question that follows is, okay, that's the mission, now how do we get there? What do we need to do? How do we accomplish this? How do we put this mission into action? Because if you're being honest, that sounds a little daunting, right? To love one another so well that we make Jesus impossible. To to love one another like Jesus has loved us sacrificially, giving himself up for us. That sounds like something incredibly daunting. And that is where it is so important for us to understand how the gospel is meant to shape the way that we pursue community. And the gospel's implications on how we are meant to relate to one another. This entire series that we're doing, we're spending five weeks in the series, and it's I have one goal to just get us thinking about and talking about the power of the gospel and the implications of the gospel in all of life, not just in eternity to come, but here and now. And that's why I'm excited about this tonight, because where many of us, I think, have a misunderstanding whenever it comes to the gospel is that we think the gospel is simply something that takes place between us and God. That's all we think about whenever we think of the gospel, that it's just something that takes place between us and God. And hear me really clearly here. I, I want to I tread carefully here. We understand, and rightly so, that the gospel impacts the way that we relate to God. But what we fail to see is how the gospel impacts the way that we relate to one another. You see, we have this really individualistic view of what happens between us and God, that we think the gospel is something that takes place whenever we go off with someone and pray a prayer to ask Jesus into our heart. But I'm just telling you, that is so, that's like the, the kiddie pool of what the gospel is. Right? That's not even the beginnings of what the gospel truly is. We need to understand how it influences us as community. And the reality is, whenever we see passages of scripture, like what my friend Garrett just read for us tonight, we come face to face with the reality that the gospel doesn't just impact us individually, it impacts us communally. Understand that. That the gospel does not just impact us individually, it impacts us communally. It changes everything. So what I want to do with our time left tonight is I want us to really dive deep into this text in Romans chapter 12. And I specifically want to spend the bulk of our time talking about uh, uh, Romans chapter 12 verses 4 and 5. Okay, we're going to really dig deep into this. Because here the Apostle Paul, the author of Romans, uses some really important terminology. I'm going to read this for us again. Verses 4 and 5 say this. For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are of one body in Christ and individually members of one another. All right, I really want you to just camp out here with me. That This is the Apostle Paul comparing the people of God to a body. And he even goes as far as to say that we are members of one another. 
This is really important here. This is a metaphor that Paul uses a lot in his teachings. If you're familiar with Scripture, you spend a lot of time in Scripture, perhaps you've heard Paul use this metaphor before. And he, in the next couple of verses, what he's going to do is he's going to talk about spiritual gifts and how we are all gifted uniquely, that we all have unique talents, abilities, and a unique purpose, that I have gifts that you don't, you have gifts that I don't, and we're meant to use those things together. We're not meant to practice those gifts in isolation. We are meant to come together because we are far more effective whenever we function together whenever we function apart. Paul elaborates on this teaching in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He has a really long teaching about how we are one body made up of many parts. And if you want to read more about how we are meant to function together within the context of spiritual gifts, I'd encourage you to go spend some time there this week. But for our purposes tonight, what I really want to key in on is the terminology that he uses here, that we are one body. Many members, but one unified whole, members of one another. Because this is, this is significant. Because these verses let us in on an implication of the gospel that I think we ignore far too often. And the implication is this. It's going to be behind me on the screens. That the gospel of Jesus unites us to God, but it also unites us to one another. The gospel of Jesus unites us to God, but it also unites us to one another. This is a truth that I want us to understand. I want us to understand both sides of this coin. If you've been in Christian circles for a while, hopefully you know the first part of that statement. Hopefully you know that the gospel is, unites you with God. This is what we've been talking about over the last two weeks. That we as humanity were created in the image of God for a relationship with him. That we were created to find our purpose, our meaning, our fulfillment, and our joy in God alone. That he loves us and desires relationship with us, yet all of us, everybody in this room and everyone who's ever drawn breath on this earth, save one, in one way or another, has rejected that love and turned towards their own desires. Turned towards trying to find, other, find purpose and meaning and joy in all kinds of other places. We've all gone astray. We've all rebelled against God. And what we've talked about over the past couple of weeks is that rebellion causes separation from God. That rebellion invites division. That rebellion causes conflict in our relationship with God. So God sent his son, Jesus, God in the flesh, and he came to earth. He lived a life in perfect obedience to the Father, and at the end of his life, he surrendered himself, sacrificed himself for us all, that he paid the ultimate price by dying a death on the cross. That in that moment, he took on our penalty so that we could receive his prize. That he died so that we may be set free. That he experienced separation from God on the cross so that we may be united to God for all eternity. And if we turn to him and surrender to him and trust and follow him, that we can experience unity with the God of the universe right here and right now. That is the gospel of Jesus. If you don't know it, that's it. That's the gospel. In Christ Jesus we have the opportunity to go from division to unity. We have the opportunity to be brought back in right relationship with our creator. The gospel unites. What I want you to understand tonight is that it doesn't just unite us to God. It unites us to one another. All right, this is where I need you to kind of put on your thinking caps with me for a second. All right, think about this with me. That if the gospel unites us to God, joins us to him for all eternity in a way in which we could never be separated from him ever again, then the natural implication that follows is this, is that if you believe the gospel and you're united to God, and I believe the gospel and I'm united to God, then naturally we're also united to one another. 
You understand what I'm saying by that? That we can't both be connected to him and not in some way be connected to one another. It unifies us. This is why Paul uses the imagery of a body so often. He says it even in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. He says this, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So he's calling Christ Jesus the head of the body, from whom the whole body, joined and held together every joint with which it is equipped. He's talking about us. When each part, us, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So again, even in the book of Ephesians, Paul is using this imagery. He talks about how we are all members of the body and Christ Jesus is the head. And we're all individual members with specific jobs, roles, and abilities. We are individuals, but we're a part of a collective whole. And we're meant to work together. And if we are working together the way that we are meant to, then we will all collectively begin to grow and thrive together as we experience more of God and walk more into his designed purposes for our life. That's the vision that the Apostle Paul wants you to get, to understand that the people of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, are meant to work together as a unified whole. But notice the implications of this. This is a really deep thought, and I want you to wrap your mind around it. This means that we are not meant to work in isolation. This means that we must work in community. This is how God designed it. He did not design you for isolation. He did not design you for isolation. He designed you for community. That every single one of us in this room, we're different. We come from different backgrounds. We have different skill sets. We have different jobs to do within the body of Christ. We have different personalities and different interests. But if you are a follower of Jesus in the room, then we are all united by something so much stronger than our differences. We're united by something so much stronger than anything that is different about us. We're united by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have been joined together, which means that our effectiveness as a whole is built and it depends on our, the health of our individual members. It means that we rise and we fall together. That's what Paul's teaching us here. And I don't know how you grew up, but for me, like I didn't grow up hearing a lot about that. Like, as I was studying that this week, it genuinely blew my mind. And I was just thinking about all the implications. Like, I did not grow up hearing about this. I grew up hearing about the importance of community, but it was always taught from the point of view of, like, the devil's out to get you and you're stronger together, right? Like, that was how community was taught to me. Like, you're, you're so much stronger if you fight together, that whole, like, live together, die alone mentality. That's what was taught to me as a child in Sunday school. But I'm just telling you, there's a, there's a place for those conversations, and yes, we're absolutely more equipped to fight temptation whenever we fight together, but that is not the basis for Christian community. It goes so much deeper than that. The gospel unites us together that we are members of one another, which means that if there's one of us who is struggling, that the rest of us should care about that and do something about that, not just because it's the nice thing to do but because it impacts us, because we're joined together with them, and what affects them affects us because we're members of one another. You think about it like this. Like if you, I have personal experience with this. A few weeks ago, a couple months ago now, I injured my back, okay? I injured my back playing golf, and I felt like an old man. 
right? And when I injured my back, I didn't just look to the rest of my body to just like pick up the slack, right? Like, no, I took time to take care of my back, right? Because whenever one part of my body was hurt, it infected the entire whole. And I had to make sure that my back was back the way that it was meant to be before I could ever function the way that I was meant to, right? And what Paul is showing us here is that we're meant to view our community in the exact same way. That we're meant to love one another in the exact same way that we are members of one another through the gospel of Jesus. Which means your pain is my pain. It means that your struggle is my struggle. But it also means that your joy is my joy. Your triumph is my triumph. We rise and we fall together. We're meant to operate as one. That is a totally different perspective to community than I ever grew up hearing. But it's a perspective on community that is deeply rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what I want for us. But to be honest, living your life like that, really pursuing community in this way, it's not going to be easy. Because it requires you to be deeply invested in the lives of other people. And hear me, we live in such a hyper-individualistic culture. We love our individuality. We love to carve our own path, to do our own thing, to be dependent upon no one and to fight for ourselves. There's something that sounds good about that, right? It sounds like deeply American and deeply noble, right? Like it sounds good, but it also sounds anti-Christian because that's not at all the way that you were meant to operate. It's not at all the way that you were meant to live your life. We need one another. The world's view of community and relationships is a very selfish one. It says that we're just meant to use one another to get the things that we want. And so it asks the question of who do I need to know to get to where I need to go? What group of people do I need to surround myself with to project the image that I want to project? But the gospel says something totally different. It says it changes the way that we view our community, that we're no longer meant to view our relationships with other people as a way to serve us, but we should realize that those who belong to Jesus have been united together as one. Because of what Jesus has done, we are now members of one another, and we are meant to live the way that God has called us to, functioning together as one. So that brings us to a key truth that I want you to write down tonight. If you're a note taker, you just jot this down, is that gospel unity is the source of deep community. Gospel unity is the source of deep community, that if you want to be a part of a community of depth, not just of breadth, if you want to dive deep in relationships, if you want a community that is lasting, that does not give up on you, that encourages you through thick and thin, that comes alongside you and wants to see you become all that you were designed to be, then it must, it must be a community that is united by the power of the gospel. There is no other place that you will find those kind of relationships. There's no other place that you'll find that kind of community. And I want you to experience that in this place, that every other source of community will eventually fade. This means that the things that bind us together in one unified whole are not shared interests, that we're not bound together just because we're students at the same university. We're not bound together just because we like the same sports teams. We're not bound together because we share a love for Athens and all of its incredible local restaurants. No, we're bound together because we believe the gospel of Jesus and it unites us together as one, that this is the source of our community. No longer are we a bunch of individuals doing our own thing who may occasionally intersect with one another on Sundays or Wednesdays. 
But we are a bunch of individuals who make up a unified whole, that we rise and we fall together. We operate as one. And whenever you have that perspective on community, it changes everything about the way that we relate to one another. It changes the way that we treat one another. It changes the way that we speak to and about one another. It changes the way that we serve one another. Paul elaborates on this in verses 9 through 13 of that text that Garrett just read in Romans chapter 12. And he gives us some things that will change about us once we realize that we are members of one another. I just want you to write down two things that will change about you if you are a part of a community that is built on the gospel of Jesus. A community that is of people that have been transformed the gospel will do two things. They will honor and serve, and then they will suffer and pray. They will honor and serve, and they will suffer and pray. Let me elaborate on what I mean. They will honor and serve. Paul talks about this at the end of Romans chapter 12, and he says that we're meant to love one another with brotherly affection. He says that in Romans 12 verse 10, and then he also says that we're meant to outdo one another in showing honor. Like, I love that in Paul. Like He makes it a competition of sorts. That we're meant to outdo one another in honoring each other. That we're meant to make it even a competition among us of who can honor one another better. And the question becomes, well, what does that even mean to honor someone? That's not language that we use in our everyday life. A couple of things about what it means to honor someone. The first thing that it means is that you just take time to genuinely encourage one another. To use your words to lift one another up, to speak life into your friends, to speak genuine kindness to one another. And that may sound simplistic to you, but can I just ask you a question tonight? Does that describe the way that you relate to most of your friends? Like, does it? Does it describe the way that you talk to your buddies whenever you're hanging out at cookout after this? Does it describe the way that you discuss things and talk about things? Do you consistently encourage those in your community? Do you use your words to build one another up? Are you offering specific words of encouragement to your closest friends? I got to tell you, a while ago, I was really convicted by this. Because as I began to think about my life and the way that I talked to my friends, all I could think about was the constant jokes, the consistent ridicule, and the never-ending sarcasm. Right? Like, that's all I can think about. And I want, you, I want to be really clear here. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that you can never mess with one another. I'm not saying that you can't give each other a hard time and cut up and laugh and joke. I'm not saying that at all. But we can't just hide behind the excuse of sarcasm is my love language. Like, you can't just say only mess with the ones that I love. Like, you can't just hide behind that excuse. We've got to really evaluate the things that we say. Because if what comes out of our mouth is far more ridicule, jokes, and sarcasm than it is kindness and encouragement, then I think we've missed the mark a little bit. I think we're off. I think we're missing something. If we are members of one another, we should not be trying to tear one another down. We should be strengthening, encouraging, speaking life to one another. That our words should be refreshing to one another. They shouldn't bring pain or embarrassment. They should bring honor. That's what it means to honor one another. But honor goes deeper than that. It's not just about showering people with random compliments. It means that we genuinely respect and celebrate one another. That's what it means to honor someone. We are meant to champion one another and celebrate each other, to genuinely desire one another's well-being, to desire that one another do well. That's where honor gets really, really difficult, right? That's where honor begins to step on some toes because you got to understand that some of us are often reluctant to honor one another because if we celebrate someone else, that means we have to take the spotlight off of us and put it onto them. You get that, right? Like to truly celebrate someone else, that means that you've got to make the moment about them and not about you. And for some of us, like that's scary. 
That's the, we want the spotlight to be on us, and we're scared of what might happen if the spotlight is removed from us. But this means that we must ha- learn how to put the needs of others above our own to serve one another and to love one another with humility. And hear me, that's hard. What I'm hoping you're seeing tonight as we're talking about this idea is that whenever we begin to understand that the gospel of Jesus unites us to one another, then we will naturally begin to honor one another because we will begin to realize that to encourage, to strengthen, and to celebrate one another is to invest in the well-being of the collective whole. And it benefits us all. And we all need it. We are better together, so we honor one another. We serve one another. We put one another's needs above our own, and we move towards one another in love. But the second thing that will change about us, if we're a community that's been transformed by the gospel, is that we will also suffer and pray. We'll suffer and pray. You see, Paul doesn't just talk about the good moments. He talks about the bad. In Romans 12, verse 12, he says to be patient in tribulation, which you can just read as really difficult times, and you can pray with consistency. Whenever he's saying that, he means that we don't just share the good times together, but we also share the really difficult moments. We get honest with one another, and we share the things that are going on in our lives so that whenever we are suffering, we don't just try to hide the suffering, but we invite those in our community into that so that they can bear it with us. And understand that that is so far against what the world will teach you to do. That the world will teach you that you should never admit weakness, that you should never let anyone see your flaws, that you should control the narrative, project the image that you want people to see. But what the gospel says is that we're all broken people who have been offered healing. We're all people who weren't spiritually dead, who have now been made alive. And there's no need for any of us to hide behind pretense. We're all broken people. In this room, we can be honest about that. By definition, being a Christian means acknowledging your brokenness and your need of a Savior. All right, that's ground level for entry. Right, we all need help, and we need to learn how to be honest with one another about our struggles, be honest about our shortcomings, be honest about our pain, because the more we realize that the gospel unites us together, the more we begin to realize that we are members of one another, then we realize that our struggles aren't just our struggles that it impacts all of us, that my pain isn't just my pain, it's yours, that your struggle isn't just your struggle, it's mine, it's ours, what hurts you hurts me, what hurts me hurts you, that we are built together, that we are bound together by the gospel of Jesus. We need to be honest with one another. We need to be vulnerable. We need to be real, and we need to let one another in on our struggles. We've got to stop worrying about what people might think We've got to start, stop worrying about what will happen if we're honest, what will happen if we tell the truth, what will this person think of me? And um, we've got to start instead asking different questions. We've got to ask the question of what's going to happen if I don't share this? What's going to happen if I do hide this? What's going to happen? How is this going to impact other people? We've got to let one another in because we realize that it would be far more damaging to hold it to ourselves than to share it with those in our community. We suffer together. And as we do, we pray for each other. This is what is meant to characterize us, that we, as we learn more about one another, learn more about each other's pain, learn more about each other's struggles, that we are better able to pray for one another. We come to God on behalf of others, and that's a powerful thing, to be able to pray for your brother and sister in Christ, to be able to pray for someone who you know is struggling, to be able to pray for someone who's struggling with sin, to be able to pray for someone who's going through a really difficult moment, that we need to share those things too with one another so that we can better serve, love, and pray for each other, that we walk alongside each other, we refuse to give up on one another, and we pray as often as we can for one another. We suffer and we pray together. This is what I'm talking about, y'all. 
this is what I want for us more than anything in the world. I want us to build this type of community together. I want us to be a part of a community like this, a type of community that changes lives. This is the community that I've seen change me. I could sit up here all night and tell you about guys in my life who have just come alongside me in some of the most difficult of moments. I could tell you about guys like Ryan Knapp, who called me up at the end of that freshman year of college, and who told me that if I was going to be serious about following Jesus, that I needed to actually take it seriously. And he began to call me and check up on me and ask me tough questions and pray with me, and he still does that today. Ten years later, he still does it. He knows everything about me, the good and the bad. I could tell you about guys like Brant Aiken, who sat with me on the staircase of the Special Collections Library during one of the most difficult days of my entire life and just wept with me and prayed with me and encouraged me and walked with me through some really difficult moments that were ahead. I could tell you about guys like John Massara, one of my buddies who's in the room tonight, who says the moment I've met him has been a source of encouragement and joy, a place that I could bounce ideas off of, a place that I could go to and express my frustrations and my struggles. I could tell you countless stories about guys like this, but what I want you to know is that all of those relationships, the one thing that they have in common is that they're founded on the gospel of Jesus. That every single one of us, we have different backgrounds. We come from different places. We have different experiences, but we've been united by the gospel of Jesus. And because of that, they mean more to me than anyone who shares all of my same interest. That we're invested in one another. And that is what I want for you. I want us to stop settling for superficial relationships. I want us to dive deep. I want us to be invested in the lives of one another, to genuinely love one another. But for us to experience this, we must allow the gospel to transform this community. We must allow the gospel to transform us as individuals in the way that we relate to one another. We must realize that the gospel of Jesus not only unites us to God, but it unites us to one another. And if we allow the gospel to be the foundation of this community, then we will truly begin to love one another the way that Jesus has loved us. And if we love one another in this way, we will display the beautiful heart of our king to the world around us, that we will truly love one another so well that we make Jesus Christ impossible to us.